Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist of Lamb and Lion Ministries and your host on Christ in Prophecy. And I'm Nathan Jones, the Internet Evangelist here at Lamb and Lion Ministries and your co-host on Christ in Prophecy. Our Jesus in the Old Testament series has finally arrived at the major prophetic books of the Bible. And although prophets and prophetic promises are woven throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah represents the first major book of prophecy. It's important to understand, even as we begin this episode, that we're backing up on the timeline we've been following for th throughout this series. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther describe the return of the Jews from exile in Babylon and Persia. Isaiah proclaimed the word of the Lord into Judah and Israel before they were carried away into exile. As such, his book describes history from about 740 to 680 B.C. Even as he urged the Jews to repent and turn back to God and warn them of the judgment about to fall, Isaiah also offered great hope in the form of prophecies focusing on the coming Messiah. It is hard to overstate the significance of Isaiah's prophecies. His description of the Messiah as a suffering servant is so poignant and clear that scoffers refuse to believe that he was writing hundreds of years before Jesus Christ. And to that point, many Jewish rabbis and scholars have been discouraged from even reading Isaiah 53. And most Jews who may memorize a brief text for their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah or recount a story of Passover or Esther on an annual basis have never heard of Isaiah 53. Today we'll hear from an expert in Hebrew who realizes how significant Isaiah 53 is to Gentiles and to Jews. He is a passionate advocate of the Word of God and the Jewish Messiah all of God's Word points to. Messianic Rabbi Model Bailiston is a Bible teacher who instructs using the Hebrew background of the Bible. He was born into a Jewish home in New York and came to faith in Messiah Jesus over 30 years ago. He is engaged with Jewish and Gentile skeptics in a winsome and Christ-honoring manner. Model, I'm so glad you could join us today. Fellas, I'm really glad to be here and to be able to join your audience as we hold up the Word of God. And as we recognize that throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jewish Scriptures, the Old Testament, Messiah Jesus is seen. Well, tell us, Model, how you came to know Jesus, Yeshua, as the Jewish Messiah. And tell us why your own theme verse, I love this, as indicated on your email signature block, is Isaiah 62.1. Well, I was born into a traditional Jewish home in New York City in the holy land of uh, Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, all four of my grandparents came from traditional Orthodox homes in Eastern Europe. All of them immigrated to, uh, to this country around 1910. And as a result, I was brought up with a lot of Yiddishkeit, a lot of uh, Jewish flavor. One of the things you're told as a young child is that you stay away from Christianity because the experience of my grandparents was nothing but violent persecution. 
but I resolved that I wanted to understand what was so Jewish about Jesus. And uh, so I simply turned to the first page. I went to the public library in Brooklyn, turned to the first page of this forbidden book, this New Testament. And on the very first verse where I had been told it was anti-Semitism, it was hatred, this is what I found in the Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so as you continue to read, you're reading a Jewish story of a Jewish boy born into a Jewish home who one day walks into a synagogue where he had been brought up and announced that he was the long-awaited Messiah. I was finally able to uh, find someone who was able to explain these things to me, showing them to me both in the an English translation and the Hebrew scriptures. And clearly, there was no doubt that if Jesus was not that promised Messiah, there would never be a Messiah. And so over 30 years ago, as a young man, I placed my faith in Jesus as my Messiah, my Jewish Messiah, as my Savior, and uh, was involved in the dental industry at that time. And very quickly, uh, Lord moved us into full-time ministry. My wife is also a Jewish believer in Jesus, and we've had a very effective ministry here in the Northeast for uh, over uh, 25 years. Wow, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Well, we're in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is one of the best books of the Bible for having Christophanies, typologies, everything that points to Jesus, but prophecies made 700 years before Jesus was actually born. Can you give us a few of your favorite prophecies? Well, you know, Isaiah is rich in uh, those passages that speak of Mashiach, which is the Hebrew word for Messiah. And uh, throughout the book, hope is held out. Uh, our Jewish people were facing a very difficult time as the book of Isaiah is being written. But God wants to hold out hope that a better day is coming. So for instance, in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, it's a very controversial passage and one that is disputed by the mainstream Jewish community. Uh, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and will bear a son. If you talk to mainstream rabbis, they'll say that only had application in the day of Hezekiah. But that actually ignores the Hebrew of the text. In the, when you go into the Hebrew, there is a very jarring change from the singular where the generation of Hezekiah is being spoken to versus a future application that is the hope of Israel. And so when the promise that a Messiah is coming is given, behold, the virgin, Alma, will be with child, it is in the plural. It is a message to the entire house of Israel. So it moves from the immediate context uh, historically, and it moves to the future. And if people understood that from the Hebrew text, when you only read it from the English, it can be ambiguous. But in the Hebrew, actually, the messianic implication is even stronger. And so Isaiah 7.14 prophesies the virgin birth. And there's really no question about that when you honestly look at the original Hebrew of the text. Well, Model, we continually grapple with the reluctance of many Jewish people to embrace what they perceive of as a Christian Messiah. In other words, as you were warned even as a child. Uh, 
And we recognize, regrettably, that many Christians have demonstrated a great anti-Semitism over the years and throughout the ages. But what explains this continuing resistance to even read the passages that clearly point to the Jewish Messiah? Oftentimes, it is the result of the behavior of large institutional churches that have wandered far from the Word of God. You know, when, when Jewish people actually open up the book of Matthew and start reading, there's nothing objectionable there. Again, this is a Jewish story which takes place in the Jewish province of Judea among Jewish people. It's only the, the medieval church history which was fraught with anti-Semitism. So, for instance, if, if Jewish people simply go and read a passage like Isaiah chapter 9, where it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and these shall be his attributes, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, uh, prince of peace. When you simply read that passage isolated, when you, when you look at the, these titles, that a child, a baby, a Jewish baby is going to be born, but yet these are going to be his attributes, well, it invariably causes you to think of the deity claims, the divine claims of Jesus, not only being Messiah, but of being God. And so once again, here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, once you examine the Hebrew, it is indisputable that the Messiah will have all of the attributes of deity. And so to answer your question, when you actually look at the Bible passages apart from the horrible history of, of violent anti-Semitism that many of the, the institutional apostate churches have engaged in, when you just simply look at the scripture portions, they're all pointing to the idea of Yeshua, of Jesus, being the long-promised Messiah. Certainly. Excellent. Well, brother, I, I'm from the other side of the river. I used to live in Philadelphia. I had many Jewish friends, both Jewish and yes. Messianic Jews. And they always were training us how, when I was back in Bible college there at Philadelphia Biblical University, how to witness to Jews. So I went to your website, which is MessiahNJ, which I assume NewJersey.org, and saw that you have yes. a, the Jewish way back to God. Could you share, how can we as Gentiles witness to Jewish people? Well, you know, oftentimes people have um, talked about the Romans road, and that's fine. But Jewish people don't have Romans in their Bible. There's no <laughs> New Testament in their Bible. And so in, on that page, messiahnj.org, there is a simple pathway through Isaiah that demonstrates a key principle that is in dispute in the Jewish community. And that is, are people naturally sinful and in need of a savior? That is a big divide between the mainstream Jewish community and biblical faith. Biblical faith clearly shows us that we are sinners by birth and by choice, and we need a savior. Judaism today is divided on this issue. Uh, there, it really is. Uh, liberal Judaism, Reform Judaism would say, no, mankind is inherently good and just needs to get gooder, <laughs> to use a phrase. That, that's their view. But when you really talk to the Orthodox, they understand that uh, people have this sinful nature, nature, and they need atonement of some sort. So what is in question is the nature of that atonement. 
So in attempting to have you know a, a person who's from a non-Jewish background, let me give you a, a quick example of a lady who happens to be in Texas. I have a good friend in Texas by the name of Jackie, and she is from a Gentile background, but she has made it her business there in uh, Central Texas to befriend the significant Jewish community in the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She extends friendship to them, real friendship that is not dependent upon whether they agree with her or not. Over the years, so many people in the Jewish community have seen her sincerity, her love for Israel, and her backing of Jewish causes that she has earned the right to share her faith. She's not seen any longer as an outsider. She is seen as an insider <laughs> to the Jewish community. And they fully understand she is a born-again evangelical Christian, but with a love for Israel. And that has earned her incredible opportunities to share Messiah Yeshua uh, with her friends. And that is really the pathway that we need to start on, genuine uh, unconditional friendship, regardless of what their immediate response will be, because typically for Jewish people, it's going to take them a while to warm up to the idea that this Jesus of Christendom, supposedly that which has persecuted the Jewish people, is actually the Messiah that they have been waiting for. You could almost say genuine, unconditional love is what we're expressing and uh, showing the love of Christ. Well, model one more question about anti-Semitism. We've seen a precipitous rise in anti-Semitism around the world. You know, uh, several generations ago, the world recoiled in horror at some of the atrocities of the Nazi regime in Germany, uh, the Soviet Union. But of late, even here in the United States, we've seen our own government deny the reality of attacks that are targeting Jewish people. How do you respond? You know, um, anti-Semitism is increasing across the world, and that has been um, delineated and documented by many independent agencies. That's not uh, our, us complaining. That's not a figment of our imagination. But as Bible believers, that doesn't surprise us because we are in the last days. One of the things that most is disturbing of all of this is the extent to which some um, evangelical believers seem to entertain false conspiratorial theories about the Jewish people. Um, if you go online, you will find all sorts of, of videos uh, made by believers who have an anti-Semitic racist sort of twist to them against the Jewish people. Uh, they'll talk about the Talmud and they'll pull verses out of context, and they'll use that as justification for what is nothing more than a racist, bigoted attitude. Uh, these videos are false. Uh, they start out with prejudice, they start out with anti-Semitism, and they go looking for verses to pull out of context. If you look at all of the verses of what the New Testament says about the Jewish people, if you look at Romans 11, you see of God's unconditional love for Israel, and he actually warns Gentile believers in Romans 11 against harboring any sort of anti-Semitism. So this needs to start among believers. We need to excise out all um, evidence of this racial bigotry and recognize that while Jewish people are 
called the chosen people, that does not grant them individual salvation. And here is a very important point. We want to love the Jewish people, but ultimately it's not love for them if we withhold from them the only thing that saves, which is the name of Messiah Yeshua. So ultimately, true love is first expressed in unconditional friendship, but then it's expressed in sharing with them the good news of the arrival of Yeshua the Messiah in a way that's sensitive, in a way that understands the background, understands the history, but truly wants to see them come into a relationship, not with a foreign religion, but with their own God. Amen. 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 And so many prophecies seem to point to the fact that the, one day the Jewish people, a remnant, is going to be saved and exalted. And it's interesting when God talks about these prophecies, he uses what's called proleptic statements. He, he, he gives a prophecy about the future, but he says it in kind of a past tense, like Zechariah 12, 10, look on me whom they pierced. Now, that's a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus was even crucified. Why does God speak about future prophecy as if it's already done? Well, fancy theologians would say that that is a case of uh, what is called past perfect, where something is so sure that it's going to be done that God speaks of it in the past tense. Um, and that's, that's the case certainly there in Zechariah, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Uh, interesting though, in Isaiah 53, you have a similar sort of example, except what that passage is doing is it is recording the future words of the Jewish nation when they finally recognize Jesus, Yeshua, as the Messiah. Because they say in astonishment, they look up to heaven and they say, who would have believed this? To whom was this revealed? He grew up before us as a nothing. He was a shoot out of dry ground. We looked upon him to be the stricken one, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. So that Isaiah 53 passage is actually recording the words of a future nation of Israel when they come to recognize at the end of the tribulation, when they come to recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah, and that's when that Isaiah 53 passage and the Zechariah passage come together. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. They will accept him. They will mourn for him. And that's another portion in Isaiah that says, can a nation be born in a day? That's when the nation is born in a day. And that's when we see the fulfillment of Romans 11, when it says, all Israel will be saved. That's a reference to ethnic Israel at the end of the tribulation coming to recognize Yeshua as Messiah. Well, speaking of that end of tribulation and the things that are to come, Isaiah served the Lord in an era when Israel and Judah, uh, their situation was very dire and getting worse, almost like today if you want to look around at the world. And so many people right now focus on the gloom that we see evidence of, and yet we know that light has already pierced the darkness and that we have a blessed hope. So what are some of the signs that you can discern that indicate we are living in the season of the Lord's return? You know, if you would have um, 150 years ago, if you pointed to all of these passages as indicating a future reestablishment of Israel, people would have mocked you. Scientists would have said, no, no, the Jews are very happy in Europe. You know, in 1890, when you looked around Europe, Jews were making advances in Prague, in Berlin, in uh, Budapest, in all of these cities 
Jews were entering government, they were doctors, they were university professors. Well, fast forward to 1945. Europe lay in ruins. Six million of our Jewish people had been murdered in the Holocaust, and people were trying to get to Israel as fast as they could. So all of those people, all the Amil people and the people who don't believe in a literal understanding of the Bible, dismissed Bible prophecy back in the 1890s, and they were going toward um, a sort of an allegorical interpretation. But the reality train came down the tracks and hit them, and they realized that God's prophecies are yea and amen. And so to answer your question, the very establishment of the state of Israel and the fact that we actually have a functioning Jewish government in Israel today is one of the prerequisites that are needed for the events of the last days to occur. And brothers, that's where we are right now. We can cast our eyes toward Israel and we see the literal working out of the beginnings of prophecy. Now, the Israel of today is not the Israel of the Messianic kingdom. We don't make that mistake. And that's a mistake that's made in some extreme circles. No, we recognize that they are gathered together, just as the Lord had said. But there will be many events, dramatic events during the tribulation. But a day is coming when all Israel will be saved. It's still yet future. And this is not the current Medinat Israel, the current state of Israel, but the the future Israel will come out of that. Amen. Amen. And do you see any other messianic foreshadowings in the book of Isaiah? Well, one of the interesting things for your, your audience to do is take a look um, at the break between Isaiah chapter 39 and Isaiah chapter 40. From, from chapters 1 through 39, there's a lot of gloom and doom, but yet there are these highlights of, of messianic hope. Then all of a sudden in chapter 40, it says, Nachumu, Nachumu in Hebrew. Comfort, comfort ye my people. You know, say to them that the, their, their, their iniquity is forgiven, that the, a day is coming. And as you read on, you see all of those concepts that the messianic hope from Isaiah chapter 40 onward is expressed very clearly. Isaiah 49, you have a marvelous passage that talks about Jew and Gentile being together as one, they don't lose the distinction of either being Jewish or Gentile. People, after coming to faith, remain either Jewish or Gentile. But the body is brought together as one body. And that's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5 and 6. It's a miraculous passage that many believers, many who even fancy themselves to be Bible scholars, are simply unaware of. And so you have passages like that, of course, the Isaiah 53 passage, and um, there's the other passage that you mentioned that I use as a theme verse, uh, which is Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1, um, which says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep quiet. For the sake of Israel, I will not keep silent until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. That is a passage that looks forward to the ultimate salvation of Israel. God is drawing people out from Israel. He's drawing them to faith. So while his relationship with Israel today is based on the Abrahamic covenant, 
it doesn't grant individual salvation. Individual Jewish people, just like anyone else, need to come to an individual embrace of the fact that Messiah Jesus is the only atonement available to us today. Amen. And so that Isaiah 62 verse 1 passage looks forward to a time when the salvation of Israel will be upon us. Amen. Model, you, you are so articulate in pointing out the Jewishness of our Jewish Messiah, but how that blessing is for all peoples, Jew and Gentile. And so we look forward to the day when 10 Gentile men will grab the cloak of every <laughs> Jew and say, uh, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. And we praise the Lord that He certainly is with you and that you are serving Him faithfully. How can our viewers connect to your ministry and continue to, uh, to appreciate just the, the depth of wisdom that you're sharing? We have a growing list of articles on uh, the website messiahnj.org, uh, but probably the fastest and most popular way in these days is just simply through YouTube. If you put my name into the YouTube search bar, there are many Bible teaching videos uh, that I, some I've made independently, some with good partners like uh, uh, Lamb and Lion, and so we want to get those out. And I'll tell you very frankly, what's happened is we have uh, Gentile believers who share my testimony video with Jewish friends, and they'll say, "Look at the! I want you to to take a look at this fellow. This fellow is has four Jewish grandparents. He was born in Brooklyn into a Jewish home. This is his story." The, the one that went viral, the version of my testimony went viral, is six minutes. It was very dramatically produced by some believers in Israel. They've got fancy music. It takes six minutes. After those six minutes, it's impossible for a Jewish friend or neighbor to say, Jews don't believe in Jesus. Well, Model, you have certainly come to us today in the name of Yeshua, our blessed Lord. And so we are grateful for Him pouring blessing through you. Uh, many blessings beyond you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan and Tim. Godspeed. What a blessing it was to connect with Model Baliston. His passion for the Messiah as a Jew sparks great joy in us. As Gentile believers of Jesus Christ, we are thrilled that more and more Jews are embracing Yeshua HaMashiach, our Jewish Messiah. The title of this episode focusing on Isaiah is Pointing to the Messiah. In addition to the passages we've discussed today, Isaiah's description of the suffering servant in chapter 53 is so clear and compelling in pointing to Jesus that Orthodox Jewish rabbis ignore it altogether, and liberal theologians falsely claim that it was written after Jesus suffered and died. Sort of like replacement theologians want to ignore God's continued promises to the Jewish people in Romans 9 through 11. Right. We'll return to Isaiah next week. For now, read chapters 53 and 61, and let the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus in those Old Testament passages. Until then, I'm Tim Moore. And I'm Nathan Jones saying, look up and be watchful, for the Lamb of God who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities is drawing near. Do you feel like your faith is under attack? Then develop an unshakable faith. 
Order the DVD, Unshakable, Exercising Tough Faith in Tough Times. In this inspiring teaching series, Nathan Jones explores Habakkuk's initial dismay over God's call to live by faith. Dr. David Reagan draws insight from Isaiah and Jeremiah, whose ridiculed prophecies led them to offer a bold testimony. And Tim Moore focuses on the Apostle Paul, who faithfully poured himself out sacrificially. These three dynamic presentations are followed by an hour-long question and answer session. Order your copy of the DVD, Unshakable, Exercising Tough Faith in Tough Times, for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. 